You're listening to episode 143 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Rick Macy. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's top coaches, pros, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And uh, first off, I would just want to wish everybody uh, all the best. I know it's obviously a very trying time in the face of COVID-19, and so I'm doing my best to pump out a lot of content for you all. Uh, actually, it's pretty exciting for me I, uh, all this week, uh, the week of the publication of this episode, I am hosting Tennis Summit 2020, which is a free online tennis conference and uh, it features over 30 of the world's best coaches to help you improve your tennis game. And it's pretty, uh, it's been pretty epic so far. Um, at the date of this recording, which is the very the beginning of the summit on Monday, uh, we've got over 10,500 registrants, which is <laughs> pretty insane, uh, I think. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's just a product of many things. I mean, Obviously, there there are more people at home, of course, and uh, have uh, more time than last year. Uh, also, I've been doing a lot to improve various aspects of the summit, and also I've formed stronger connections in the tennis community each year, and also found some other ways to uh, effectively promote the summit, but uh, all legal, none illegal, but <laughs> just to clarify. But yeah, so it's just amazing for me. Uh, Actually, uh, 10,000 was kind of a, a reach goal, but uh, I'm really happy to make it. But anyways, I'm sure you tuned in more to uh, <laughs> listen to Rick and myself talk. But uh, if you want to check out Tennis Summit 2020, please go to TennisFilesSummit.com. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S-S-U-M-M-I-T.com to get your free ticket and check out all the cool sessions from people like Jeff Salzenstein, Paul Anacone, Gigi Fernandez, Dr. Mark Kovacs, Rick Macy, and many more. Um, but today's interview with Rick is actually a preview of his session, uh, which drops the same day, I think, as this podcast episode. But uh, I know that there are for sure many of you who uh, will listen to this podcast who might not listen or, or attend the summit. Uh, I hope you do, though. But in any case... Uh, this this preview has a lot of great information in it. It was really a privilege to talk to to Rick. Uh, last time I talked to him uh, for the podcast, uh, we talked about more about technique, and this time we get more into single strategy and also the mental game. And so, some really cool topics that we cover are how to plan effectively for your matches how to perform under pressure in a new environment, and then relatedly how Sophia Kennan, 
won her first Grand Slam title despite facing a much more experienced opponent. And also what we can do at home to build our mental toughness. uh, Why visualization can take your game to the next level. And uh, some guidelines for which pros to imitate. And I realized that I did not give you a a good enough description of Rick, his background. So uh, Rick is an amazing coach. He is actually one of the most legendary tennis coaches of all time. He's coached five number one players, uh, at least, uh, including off the top of my head, Venus and Serena Williams, Jennifer Capriati, Andy Roddick, and Maria Sharapova, as well as hundreds of other world-class professionals. Rick is also the founder of Rick Macy Tennis Academy, and uh, he is also, uh, his students have over 250 or so USTA national championships as well. So just want to give you that bit of background because we don't really get into it during the interview. So hope you enjoy that little little background there. So I hope you enjoy this episode uh, with Rick. And without further ado, here is my interview with legendary coach Rick Macy. But at the end of the day, it's very much situational. It's not one size fits all. And you got to adapt not only from player to player, but really point to point. Yeah, thanks for that, Rick. And you, you mentioned, obviously, we all have to be problem solvers. So what types of things can we do to become better at and sharpen our ability to become better problem solvers on the court? Well, I think when people are playing, they need to be aware, number one, when they hit the ball, where their ball lands. See, a lot of times people get it over and they think they've won, you know, the lottery just because they got it over the net. They're still alive, you know. So I think, number one, always look where your ball lands or you should have that innate ability to feel where your ball lands. Number two, you should see how your opponent is running to the ball. Are they running real fast? Are they running slow? And the third thing is you always want to look at the racket. And this really applies to all levels. At the highest level, a lot of this stuff is baked in. They already have a feel for that. But seeing where your ball lands, how the person's running, and how they prepare their racket, that's going to give you a very good indicator. Are they going to be aggressive? Are they going to be defensive? Are they going to be off balance? Is the sun shining and they feel great about themselves? See, so I think you need to be aware of that first. And so would that be problem solving? Yeah, because I think that covers all your listeners, no matter what level you play at, that's something right out of the oven, fresh, that I could tell everybody that people need to be more aware of. Now, different things would be people should know which side is better, their forehand or backhand. And I think you got to be real careful doing these scouting reports because people tell you, oh, they have a better forehand or backhand. Well, that could have been on Saturday, but Sunday it could be a lot different. So you got to be careful and that's why as the match goes on, the temperature is going to go up and down, and you, you have to feel that. Um, but a lot of people are so caught up in what they're doing, they're not looking at, well, maybe that person returns serve differently on their backhand and forehand. Maybe they chip the ball every time, and I can sneak into the net you know, when I serve. Uh, they don't run forward that well. i got to use the drop shot more. They don't like high balls, but maybe you're one of those guys that's like drilling every ball three feet over the net. So this is what I'm saying people just by looking at the world with a different set of eyes when they play a match instead of just this is my game and I'm going to play my game I think that applies more for the higher level players because they have more diversification 
but for club players, they should try to go into different zones more often because let's face it, club players don't get to practice that much and they, they're set in their ways, you know, and they don't like certain things. So that's what I mean by problem solving. Uh, thanks a lot, Rick. That's a uh, really great advice there. And along with that, uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, and again, I really appreciate you framing it for the competitive amateur tennis player. Cause that's definitely who's watching for the most part, along with a lot of coaches too. Um, when we talk about game plans, I was wondering how players should approach that in terms of uh, how many they should have, how complex of a game plan we should actually be going in with. Because I know, and in speaking with a lot of great people like yourself, and also uh, James Blake mentioned that the game plan was the key for him to be uh, to not be nervous during matches because he he knew uh, what he should be doing on the court. So, what what should our approach be to creating a game plan that will help us during matches? Well, once again, it's it's all situational, and you know someone like James Blake, who's playing at the highest level, you know, you're bringing to the table a lot more options because of your skill set. You know, you're, and especially with him, he could drop, he could chip, he could angle, he could roll, he could take it early, you know, he could go upstairs. So a lot of players don't have that whole package. They don't have that smorgasbord where they can pick and choose what they're going to do against that person. You know, so it's, once again, you know, depending on the skill level, adults, 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, you just play doubles, you just play in singles. So it's a very complex question. But that being said, you want to have a plan, and it might change even in the warm-up. I notice something. They don't move well this way. They don't like this. They don't like the volley. You know, if they don't take volleys during the warm-up, maybe you want to bring them in a little bit. So, or they miss every overhead. So I think you need to be aware of that. But I think it's more important at the club level that there's a lot more available, even though you only might be doing a couple things yourself, that you need to be relentless. Because some people don't even realize what they're doing until they see themselves on video. They don't realize they're serving 90% of the guy's forehand, you know, and maybe the guy's forehand's better. So, you know, at the pro level, um, it's not one size fits all because everybody comes with different strengths and weaknesses. And you just have to be aware of what you do. You should always, always play your game. Because one of the things that happens, people always tell me, oh, I hate playing pushers. I hate playing moon balls. You know, and I tell people all the time, the way you beat those people is you got to flip it in your mind. You have to be more patient. You have to be more consistent. You got to be willing to understand you're going to have to hit so many more balls than you're used to. So once you get it in your head first, it's going to be a long day at the office, okay, and they're going to get back your best shots, and then they might get back your best shots, and then your next best shots are going to get back. Once you psychologically are ready for that, then you're able to deal with it when you play that type of person. But what happens is a lot of coaches and parents, when they're playing these people who are really steady, and I'm mainly talking about 12 and 14 tennis, because that's like people play a lot different, you know, the, like balls are higher and that stuff. Parents and coaches, be aggressive, take it early, go to the net, be like Batman, Spider-Man, you know, just attack, attack, and you're going to lose every time. You got to pick your spots. It's all situational. You know, when you change your game and all of a sudden you just go in there like you're attacking like ISIS, it's never going to work. So to beat someone who's really, really steady, believe it or not, you got to be more steadier. Then when the table is set and it's a short ball, then it's time to eat. 
Gotcha, Rick. So in those situations where we're playing really consistent players, I mean, it, I guess in a lot of cases too, we, we may not be as good as that player at being consistent. So then is that a matter of you got to go and practice that out on the court of being consistent and hitting all those balls in practice so that you can eventually beat that type of player then? Yeah, you know, but the one thing I want to add to all this, the one thing you do got control over, and that's what I obviously tell everybody I coach, whether the kid wins the Orange Bowl or it's a 12-year-old who just wants to see how good they can be, the only thing you got control over is attitude, you know, your attitude. And you're going to be tested, and everybody has a breaking point. And you got this ideal performance state where everybody goes off a little bit, Federer, Rafa, Djokovic, and the lower-level players or people who aren't as mentally strong they go off and they might not ever come back, you know, and you got to understand you got 20 seconds to flip it in your mind that it happened 20 years ago. So you get up there to serve or return. You got to feel great about yourself. You got to feel positive. You got to feel like you can do anything because let's face it. So much of this, no matter what level is mental, there's mental. That's why everybody plays better against better players. Because when you hit the ball in the net against a better player, it feels a certain way. But if you hit the ball in the net against a hamburger who you've beaten every time, it feels different. But the last time I checked, it went into the net. So a mistake's a mistake. So the mental part, and that's what uh, is so amazing. And one of the best role models for everybody nowadays is Sophia Kennan, who I taught from age five to 12. And I came out of the box saying she's a scary little creature. A lot of this stuff was baked in. And you know I knew what was gonna happen, but she was always little. So at the end of the day, She's the best role model for every level because her attitude, it's all about the competition. She gets mad, but that mad makes her more determined. And that's an amazing quality. You can't buy it at Walgreens. Okay. You can't cook it, you know, in the, in the oven. It's something that you acquire over time and it's a habit. But the problem is most people are mentally so weak. They let the situation control them instead of them controlling the situation. Love it, Rick. And you know, it's great that you mentioned Sophia because I was talking with Paul Anacone a couple days ago and I was asking him about, you know, how can we deal with players, you know, when we're facing somebody who has been in that situation of a Grand Slam final many times, uh, you know, previously versus you getting there for the first time and then still being able to overcome, uh, you know, that pressure. So give us a little insight into exactly how a player like Sophia uh, was able to defeat somebody who's been there way more times and had way more experience in those situations? A great question, you know, and I've, I've had this discussion with the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, you know, when she was doing the Australian, I probably did like 30 interviews. Um, even though her dad coaches her, does an amazing job, they have a great relationship. This started early on and it was a gift, okay? I could see mentally this kid's very different. Okay, forget cutting the court and the geometry of the court and taking the ball off the rise. Mentally, it was already baked in. And I've had other people like that. Roddick was unique, Sharapova, everybody. That's the one common thread of all these great players I've had. Mentally, they kind of had it. You usually acquire that later. Like I felt Serena got that later on as a junior. But with, with Kennan, the first time she plays in the finals, you got to understand, I think we should back the truck up a little bit when she played Barty, Australian Open, Barty's home turf, everybody probably wanted Barty to win, except Sophia's dad and maybe the people from Fila. So, <laughs> and 
she flips it all around and takes it to her advantage. And you can tell people this and you can be satisfied. Hey, you did great or whatever. She expected to win, not hope to win. She expected to win. And then when she got to the finals, okay, against Muguruza, uh, she expected to win. But that doesn't, everybody hopes to win. She expected to win or she thought she was going to win. She was supposed to win in her own mind. But this starts long ago. Sure, you might be able to, you know, get lucky and pull it off your first time there. But look how she competed. It was like she was oblivious to the pressure. And this is what I talked about when she was five, six, and seven. I could see it then. And I said she'd be top 10 in the world by 20 and win many grand slams. I think she can win 12. I'm serious. Mentally, she's not going away. She's like a mosquito. You're not worst nightmare. And because she has other attributes too. She cuts the court, the geometry of the court. She's a wizard. She's like Hingis in many ways, except even better in some areas, I feel. But she is probably one of the best competitors I've ever taught. But she was like that at a young age. How you get it, how much of it has to do with environmental, Russian, who knows? I just saw something unique at a young age. So you got to remember, this was always there at 12, 14, 16, when she was one of the best juniors, except she was a peanut. She was little. So how you do that? Listen, she could have went away. You make errors. People are against you. You think you're blowing it. She's human. But look how she handles pressure. When she loses, she gets more determined. And you can see it by throwing down the ball. She's just so competitive. And when you have that crazy thirst for competition, like no other, you handle pressure amazing. And right now she's four in the world and the number one ranked American and no one's more proud of her uh, than Rick Macy. And she actually trains at the academy with her dad and a hitting partner. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure you're just so proud. Great kids. Yeah, so good for the country too. Um, so, uh, let, you know, I think a lot of people just from listening to you talk, even for those couple minutes, are really inspired. And a lot of them probably say to themselves, you know what, I don't have this sort of, um, you know, uh, ability at the moment to expect that I need to, that I'm going to win every time, but I want to start to develop it and work on it. I'm, and now I'm really motivated to do this. So what advice would you have for us who, who want to gradually get to that point where we're expecting to win most, if not all of our matches? Great, great question. And it's, a, it's the hardest thing to do. And uh, there's actually a whole chapter in my book, Macy Magic, where I called Flip It. And, you know, greatness, it doesn't matter. LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, you, it doesn't matter. Um, they have the ability to flip things they turn pressure into their best friend. You know, if everybody's booing them, they can, you know, they don't take it for what it is. You know, it's, it's not black and white. If it's left, it's right. If it's black, it's white. They think the exact opposite. You know, if it's really, really hot outside, if you think it's hot, it just got hotter. You know, if it's really, really windy and you think it's windy, you probably think it's a hurricane. You got to love the wind. The wind's your best friend. So at the end of the day, 
it takes a strong individual to be able to flip things in their mind. And so you got to start somewhere because most people in life, forget tennis, they let things control them instead of you controlling the situation. And in tennis, where you don't have anybody to blame, you don't have a partner, you don't have teammates, it's like you boxing, you know what I mean? And so you mentally have to be so strong. So the first thing you got to do is understand it's a choice. The next thing, it's a challenge. And then you got to be able to flip it in your mind. If you hit three double faults in a row, I don't think you're thinking, man, oh man, my serve is great. You're going to think the sky is falling and I did better yesterday. But most people are going to think, what's the matter with my serve? Or if you get A's three times in a row, I don't think you go over to the ad court and go, okay, I got him now. You're going to be feeling like, you know, the guy's Superman. But this is what I mean by flipping it. Because the last time I checked, no matter what level you play at, it's one point at a time. And it's mind control. I'm telling you, it's mind control. And the best of the best, this is what they do. They're playing a game within a game within a game. So the, the club player, that's why so many times you see people, club players, even juniors, are going, wait a minute. I have a better forehand. I have a better backhand. I have a better serve. And I just saw 6-2-6-2. How has that happened? Well, the other guy's always set, getting the ball back. He's running, sweating, shutting his mouth, and just competing. And that trumps the other stuff to some degree. Now, at the highest level, you need a package. But my advice to anybody is get a better attitude. Be positive. Even if you're down 6-0-5-0, can you be Mr. Positive? Yes. But most people say no. Most people say, well, I have a great attitude when I'm winning. Well, come on. Everybody's happy on their birthday. I want you to be happy when things are going against you. And if you can look at it like that, and that's what I call flip it, you've got to look at things the exact opposite. But if players would listen to that advice, game changer. Awesome, Rick. Love it. It's amazing stuff. What types of things can we do to actually, uh, you know, drills, exercises, or, or anything like that that we can do to also further build our just mental toughness and, and help us realize uh, that we can overcome tough things that are presented to us? Another great question. The problem is people, they'd rather physically do things. The best thing you got to do is visualize. Okay, the best of the best, they have amazing imaginations. Okay, but no one likes to do this stuff because it's boring. Uh, but you got a lot of time right now. So why don't we just take, you know, 45 minutes a day and visualize. See yourself hitting great shots. See yourself hitting 20 ball rallies cross court. See yourself hitting aces. Add color. Add the crowd. Make it real in your mind. Because when you put it into the subconscious, it's amazing how you learn. And I know people think that's all hocus pocus. It's not. The best point guards in basketball, they love to trick you. Okay, all these people that do great things, their imagination's unreal. And so that's one thing that I tell a lot of my students. Plus, if you can slow it down in your mind or you've been there, done that, when you actually get to that place in a match, your mind will feel comfortable because you've already been there. A perfect example, and I'll use this as uh, uh, that's happened a long time ago, Venus was playing Spiralea. People might not remember the famous bump incident when Venus first made her debut, I think at the Open. She played Spiralea, and it was six all in the breaker, and Venus went eight feet off the court um, on center court and hit the most amazing two-handed angle cross court when Spiralea's at the net. 
Then the next point, I think Sperlea double faulted and Venus wins, you know, the, the tiebreaker third. And they interviewed, they go, that was an amazing shot. You were eight feet off the court in the tiebreaker. How did you hit that shot from so far off the court? She goes, well, ever since I was little, I was taught to run for every ball. And I've been in that place many times. Think about it. At your normal tennis court, you're about at the side fence. So the fact that she's been there, even though it's a physical thing, because I tell all the kids to run for every ball, she was been there and done that. So when she was there, that moment in time, it brought back to a place she's been at. But if you've never been there, like trying to drive somewhere, you're not going to be as comfortable. And I used to tell all the kids, listen, someday you're going to be in this position. So practice it in your mind or practice on the court. Even if you're five feet off the court, practice hitting shots from there. Because someday, somewhere, somebody is going to hit the ball there. And when you're there, I'm not saying you're going to make it, but you'll be more comfortable. Excellent, Rick. Appreciate that. And so in order to help us, I mean, obviously it, it helps a lot to surround our, uh, ourselves with great people, great coaches like yourself. So uh, what advice do you have for, for players, competitive amateur tennis players mainly on, on how to find somebody uh, and also what types of people we should find to, to help surround ourselves with, 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 uh, with greatness and with that attitude to, to be able to develop it in ourselves? A lot of great questions today. No, you know, I think it depends on what you need. Do you need technical help? That becomes a slippery slope because everything is the, in the eye of the beholder. You know, when I did the ATP forehand, uh, little did I think it'd have over 2 million views on YouTube when I did that with USPTA, but it was cutting edge um, and I really broke it down and it was free and it helped so many people. And I think it kind of, set a new template for people to teach tennis or at least be aware like hey bro uh, the game is a lot faster than 10 years ago this is what the pros are doing but we're not teaching it and i'm not saying there's one way that there's one size that fits all but i think you know that has made a big impact uh, with all the research i've done and sports science guys i work with that that's helped a lot of people from a technical point of view the game is different and there has to be a different way to teach it, especially on the men's side. So if you need technical help, uh, I think the more stuff you can study and the more people that you can ask about that. But if people are teaching you how to hit the ball, how they did when they were taught, that's not good. This is a different sport. This is pinball and steroids and movement is a premium. And there's adaptations on the forehand and backhand like no other, open, open stances that are at a premium preparations a premium and the racket staying on the hitting side of the body a lot more than before that doesn't mean if the ball comes slow i mean you can take your racket back to california and still deliver the goods but there's a better way and you should be trying to imitate the pros okay of how they do their technique that's number one number two the grips the grip orientates the racket face so maybe your grip is holding your back so that might be something worth but if you don't want to change anything which some people say, I want to improve, I want to get better, but I don't want to listen to anybody and improve. So I never could figure that one out. You get what you deserve. But strategically, if you don't want to change anything, you could still do better with the goods that you got. So I think going to people, I think going to multiple people and hearing it a different way, you know, maybe how someone explains it. When I communicate with people, obviously I've done this as much, if not more than anybody. I've been on the tennis court my whole life you know, 
since I was 22 years old teaching. And I've learned from the students. I've learned from the players. I learn every day. And I try to get better tomorrow than I did today. I learned a lot today in the four lessons I taught. So, you know, to be around people that ask your opinion, what do you think? What's your opinion? How did you feel? Instead of someone that's just dictating to you, here's what to do. And I've never been that way. I communicate with the kids or the players, uh, with adults. I do reconstructive surgery on 80-year-old guys. I mean, they freak out. But I talk to them because you don't know what they're really feeling. You might think you do. So I think you need someone who's going to ask you and get your opinion. And I think the more people you can get information from, uh, who knows, it might really resonate with you and change the landscape of your game. That's huge, uh, Rick. And it, funny enough, you mentioned the uh, ATP forehand video that you did. And uh, I was doing a live stream with, with Peter uh, actually a few minutes before we uh, joined together. And uh, somebody in the chat, they mentioned for everybody to go check out your ATP forehand video because they really loved it uh, and they thought it was just amazing stuff. So I highly encourage everybody to check that one out. And we'll actually link to that below the video. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's probably the best thing on the internet and it's free. It was interesting because my good friend, the, the late, uh, great Tim Heckler, who used to be CEO of uh, USPTA, um, he came to the academy and he saw the things I was doing. He goes, can you do a whole show on this stroke, you know, and uh, even Federer told my good friend Bill Norris, no one's broken down his stroke like Rick Macy. So, and listen, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. And there's a lot of things I left off the table because when you put it into a video, it is a little uh, orchestrated, but I think it gave people an awareness um, that there's many pieces and if nothing else, you try it, you know, it's like a food, you try it, you like it, Keep going with it. If not, eat something else. I'm just glad that it brought awareness, okay? And maybe I coined a different way to say things and how people are trying to teach the game. Um, and then other people are going to come back and say, oh, no, that's too wrong, or you can't do that with little kids, or you can't do that with women. Listen, I have five-year-olds that do this, okay? Sophia Kennan didn't do this. The Williams sisters don't do this. And I have other people girls, boys. I even tried to teach my cat, but that didn't work too good. <laughs> By the way, me and my cat have become even better friends during all this downtime that I've had. But if you go to my Instagram, my cat's in one of them and he's gotten more hits than all of us together. It's like crazy. So I'm just glad to, I want to help people and make a difference. And uh, no one has all the answers. Like I said, I learn uh, from everybody every day and that's been my attitude and I've been fortunate and I still love what I do. Love it, Rick. Yeah, and we love that you're still heavily involved in the game. It's amazing. And as far as um, imitating the pros, so obviously we have there's players of all different shapes and sizes and uh, abilities. So if we want to imitate pros, are there any guidelines for you know who we should imitate as far as like the, being best for us to uh, to transfer over to what we could do? You you got the best questions. I mean, these are. These are better questions than a deposition I did 20 years ago. And I'm not even going to talk about that, but even <laughs> though I did, no, the, you know, people say all the time to me, especially crazy parents and there are crazy parents, but sometimes crazy is good. I think you gotta be crazy, stupid, and very, uh, you know, into this, but there's a borderline too. Um, they say, well, Nadal does this or Feder does this or Djokovic does that. I mean, think about it. If anybody, could be the leader in the clubhouse on this subject, 
It could be me. That's like me saying, listen, no one should play junior tennis. Venus didn't. Serena didn't. Serena became the greatest of all time. So it goes to show you how I'm very flexible and I adapt because you need to compete. It worked for them because maybe they didn't need to compete, even though I kind of wanted them to. So it's not one size fits all. And when you're looking at players, there's not a wrong way or a right way. There's a better way. And that's something I coined long ago in all these USPTA videos because there's common threads that we all need, but everybody brings different issues to the table. Everybody already has like certain muscle memory and certain things that you got to reprogram their reflexes and people hold the racket different and different body types. And I don't want to go down that yellow brick road right now, but to sit here and say, this is what Federer does, or this is what Nadal does. People say, well, look where Nadal stands. My first thing is great, but you don't move like him. Look how he runs around this. Yeah, but you don't move like him. Do people understand that Federer, Murray, Djokovic, okay, Nadal, those guys fly like the wind. They're a hurricane and a twister and a tornado all wrapped up into one. So if you can move, that gives you options. See, they, people don't understand this isn't golf, okay? We're not playing cards. You got to move. So when we start saying imitate, remember, there's a movement part to this also that enables them to be able to do certain things. So the perfect forehand, the perfect backhand, the perfect whatever, it's, it's so situational. Obviously, I try to teach people uh, to hit the backhand as much like Djokovic. I've done many articles on this about the pull, the flip, pull with the right arm, push with the left. Um, but then again, you know, there's many girls that, you know, have a bubble loop and they take the racket behind because it's more trunk orientated so you can get away with it. You know, like Kennan, her backhand's money because her timing is amazing. But her timing was amazing at seven. Go check out the video. She was taking the ball on the rise, giving you a surprise, and she wanted to rip out your eyes at age seven. But she was, the racket was bigger than her, but she was a scary little creature. So to sit here and people come to me, oh, I want to hit my strokes like Sharapova. Then I might have an intervention because Maria's forehand was always a little dicey maybe, but it worked and she worked her butt off and made it better. So, you know, Roddick, his serve, amazing. Highest percentage, biggest speed at one time. I don't teach everybody to keep their feet together and do an abbreviated, but he checks all the boxes biomechanically the way he serves because his leg drive initiates the racket speed. I don't want to get into that or we could do a whole nother summit. But at the end of the day, um, you got to look at what works for you because you just don't want to imitate someone to imitate them. I mean, some people wear the same clothes as this guy think it's going to help their forehand. And the only thing it's going to do is make you look better. But my biggest concern is I want to help you play better. Love it. Thanks. Thanks for that, Rick. Amazing. So you mentioned timing, uh, how a lot of players that you've coached and also other players have amazing timing. Uh, I've heard a lot of uh, players of people in my audience who struggle with timing. So what advice do you have for us on what we can do to improve our timing? The art of the deal is timing because when you move to a ball, it should be da, 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 boom, hit, da, 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 boom, hit. That's why everybody does better when the coach hand feeds because the degree of difficulty is a joke. Okay. But we all have to hand feed because you got to start somewhere and then you got to basket feed. That's progression number two. 
then you should rally with them. That's progression number three. Then you should play a set. That's progression number four. Then you got to do it with the fans in the stands because you don't know where the ball's going. And that's why everybody takes a lesson better than they compete because there's other mitigating factors that go into the equation. But to help your timing, okay, you got to synchronize the lower part of your body with the upper. But that's so complex because what if you got a, a backswing that goes all the way to Canada? Or what if you're kind of slow? So, but timing, once again, maybe you should be chipping the ball more, even on the forehand. And that's another thing. It's not illegal to chip the ball on the forehand. A lot of these coaches are in outer space. It, look at Kennan. She'll throw in the, the forehand slice. This has come back into the forefront. Don't think it's illegal. Some coaches are so back in the 90s or early 2000s. Oh, don't do that. Now, if you do it because you're nervous or freaking out or lazy, yeah, that's different. But if you're doing it because you want to change the pace, keep out of the strike zone, I advocate that. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that interview and that preview of the summit session with Rick Macy. Thanks very much to Rick uh, for coming on. Uh, We spoke for quite a long time, much longer than last time. And uh, it was pretty cool to have uh, Rick, uh, a very positive guy to have him, you know, mention that I uh, asked some great questions multiple times. It always feels good as an interviewer. You know, you never know if you're doing a, a good job or not, but well, most of the time anyway. But, um, you know, I'm glad that Rick enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, a lot of a chock full of amazing information from Rick. So big thanks to him. And uh, I'd also really love it, again, if you would join me at Tennis Summit 2020. Like I mentioned, over 10,500 players just like you and also coaches who are attending this event It's totally free and online, so it's a great way to consume a bunch of tennis content and to learn from it. And we have a lot of great sessions that uh, that take you through step-by-step exercises and and, uh, drills that you can do at home in order to improve your game, which is very pertinent in these crazy times for sure. And on top of that, uh, I'd love it if you could become a subscriber to the podcast and just hit that big juicy subscribe button on the podcast app of your choice. Um, Also would like to leave you with a quote as I often love to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Dr. Seuss. Uh, (laughs) Please excuse the uh, funny pronunciation of the S. But Dr. Seuss said, sometimes the questions are complicated and the answers are simple. Great stuff there, Dr. Seuss. Great books. And um, yeah, Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope to see you at the summit. And thanks again for everyone's support. Uh, I've just, man, I've gotten hundreds of emails every single day on various, uh, you know, aspects of the summit. And it's been really amazing. And uh, I'm just glad to be able to provide content during these crazy times. And big shout out to all of you um, for listening and to everybody who's, contributing and doing their best and staying positive during these times. So uh, wishing you all the best and uh, safety and health. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast and Tennis Summit 2020 at TennisFilesSummit.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.